Welcome to part two of Secrets to Sustainable Relationships, Living Relationally, episode 105 of Co-Creating Peace, a series about conscious communication and conflict transformation. I'm Kathleen Owigon. Last week in episode 104, Nancy Picard, a master integrative life coach, and I discussed the importance of setting healthy boundaries to help our relationships be sustainable. In a continuation of that conversation, Nancy and I explore how living relationally can support the sustainability of a relationship. But first, the quote for today. Today's quote is by Terence Riel. Sustainable relationships with others requires a good relationship to ourselves. Healthy self-esteem is an internal sense of worth that pulls one neither into better than grandiosity or less than shame. Now, Nancy and I continue our conversation about secrets to sustainable relationships. Nancy, I'd like to shift our conversation now and talk a bit about living relationally. Can you tell us what does it mean to live relationally? Living relationally is learning how to hold yourself in warm regard while holding the other person in warm regard also. So it's how you speak to somebody. It's how you communicate with them. It's about intimacy and communication and cherishing other people while you're cherishing yourself. That's relational life therapy or relational life coaching, which is what I'm in the midst of right now. And so I work with clients to see what the losing strategies are that they're doing with each other that's not working and what are some winning strategies and how to set healthy boundaries and how to make yourself a priority and basically a lot of the same things that we've been talking about. So when you talk about that, it sounds as though you're referring to relationships with people that we have some level of comfort with in our relationship. How does living relationally and warm regard work with a relationship with someone that we don't particularly care for, but we have no choice but to have them in our life, like a colleague or the neighboring homeowner? How does living relationally in warm regard work in that kind of situation? Well, I usually am working with couples. So I'm working with two people that actually are in relationship with each other. But you're talking about when you're in a relationship of sorts with somebody that you don't really like or want to be in a relationship with. It's about how you ask for what you need, requesting versus complaining, right? Respond with generosity, be a good listener, be open to each other's needs, negotiate instead of just thinking you're the victim or you need something a certain way. So I think it's the same rules, whether or not you like the person or you don't like the person, how you ask for things and how you go about it and how you make yourself a priority and how you be generous all at the same time all plays into that. Okay. And when you talk about warm regard, two questions Mm -hmm. around that. One, how would you describe warm regard? And two, because I'm always looking for ways for people to improve their relationships, even with people that they don't particularly care for. After telling us about your description of warm regard, do you have suggestions for a way that we can develop that when it's absent from the beginning? And when, in fact, maybe we're experiencing the opposite of warm regard, but we would sure benefit if we could figure out how to have warm regard for this person? Right. 
So the definition of self-esteem is holding yourself in warm regard, regardless of. So I can say, I hold myself in warm regard. I love myself. I think I'm a good person. I think I'm worthy. It's about self-worth. I am worthy even though I just said a stupid thing or even though I just failed the test or even though I have 10 pounds I want to lose. It's recognizing that you have an inherent worth just because you breathe and you're on this earth. You don't have to do anything to be worthy. And that's the same for other people. So you hold somebody in warm regard, even though they're trespassing on your lawn, or even though you don't like the way they do business. It's making yourself same as, same as. You're not one up or one down from somebody else. You're on equal footing with the other person, and you can hold yourself in warm regard, and you can hold them in warm regard, even though, and you fill in the blank. That sounds a little bit like separating the person from the problem. Yes. And recognizing that you're not, you know, there's no grandiosity. You're not better than somebody or less than somebody. Even if somebody's a better something than you, that doesn't make them a better human being than you. Even though somebody has more money than you or a more prestigious job, doesn't make them more worthy than you and vice versa. So very true. And a hard thing to remember sometimes. I think especially when we have a low opinion of someone else to not do that comparison because a person, let's say, is a homeless person or has a bad attitude at work or anything else that we might feel inclined to judge, recognizing that we are equal regardless of fill in the blank, I think is so very important because when it gets right down to it, as I often say, we're all just spiritual beings walking a very strange human journey these days. All of us trying to figure it out the best way we can and each having our own fumbles and stumbles along the way. I agree. Totally. How does one recognize when they're triggered and how can they manage their responses when they are triggered? Hmm. That's the big topic. I think you can recognize when you're triggered because you get this whoosh feeling that comes over you. It might actually bring heat. It definitely brings emotion. And when you're triggered, it's really your adaptive child. So there's the wounded child that we all have. We all have wounded children. Things happen in our childhood, whether it's conscious or not, that we're not even aware of, but happens. We make a belief about it. And then there's the adaptive child, which is the child who learned how to live in its environment. It adapted to the adaptations that it had to make because of a alcoholic parent, a narcissistic parent, a abusive sibling, whatever you were adapting from were the things that kept you safe as a child. But they're also the things that keep you small as an adult. And when you get triggered, it's not your wise adult self that's being triggered, it's that adaptive child. And so generally the response is also going to be childish. So if you can catch yourself when you're being triggered and at least acknowledge that you're being triggered, there are things you can do. You can take a breath, you can close your eyes, you can try to calm yourself down. You can start to ask yourself, wow, why am I being triggered? What wound did they just hit? What am I making what they said mean about me? How can I look at it differently? And in all of that, just becoming the observer of it all 
instead of the reactor, gives you a chance to respond differently to the trigger? Those are really great questions to ask oneself for sure, and a great opportunity to gain some insights. So if I understood you correctly, in that moment where we notice some kind of a change, maybe it's that whoosh, maybe it's a hot flush, or I know what happens for me is my heart starts to race and my eyes start to water because I want to cry whenever I feel high emotion coming up, even if I don't know where it came from, it just brings tears. So when we recognize that we're having whatever our own physiological reaction is to some event or something that was just said to us, we want to sort of pull back a bit. You talked about closing our eyes, taking a deep breath. So we're wanting to detach ourselves a little bit from the reaction, but not so far that we can't examine it. Is that right? Yes, because our first reaction is going to be a knee-jerk reaction. It's the adaptive child. It's not the wise adult. It's not going to benefit you. You're going to be your adaptive child to their adaptive child, and they're off to the races. You're not even in the room anymore. Right. So you want to take a moment or you want to take a time out. You know, I teach my clients that you can say to your partner, I don't really trust my emotions right now. I'm going to go take a walk or I'm going to go to another room or I'm going to take a break and I will be back in 30 minutes or I will call you if I'm not ready to come back. And that's non-negotiable. That's something you set up with your partner in advance that this is something we can both do. And if we need to do it, it's not about the other person. It's about you. You know, I'm triggered right now and I need to just leave this conversation. I will be back in a half an hour or an hour or whatever it's going to be. And if it's a really triggering conversation, then you can say to your partner, I'm coming back. I'd like us to not talk about this until tomorrow. So that you can go on with the evening and have a good time and make dinner together and do whatever you need to do. But let those feelings all calm down before you take another stab at it. Such wisdom in that approach, for sure. I really appreciate how you talk about naming it, because so often we might just want to storm out of the room and slam the door. And that's going to have a negative impact, to say the least, most likely on that dynamic, on that conversation, on that person. But to name what's happening in as calm a way as possible And then the other thing I really appreciate is not just saying I need a break, but talking about that return time. So the other person's not left hanging. Also having that caveat that if I'm not ready by the return time, I will at least communicate with you. I think that articulation is so important. And as I was listening to you, it sounded like you were talking about boundaries in that moment, talking about the boundary of I need some space before we have this conversation. I need to take a break and calm myself down, whatever it is we need to say. That's a form of a boundary, is it not? Yes, definitely is. And it's a healthy boundary. And because you negotiate that, like a contract that you're negotiating with your partner, that's equal. Either one of you can do it. And it happens in the moment. The other person isn't going to chase after you and hound you down for an answer right now. You have pre-negotiated that you both have the right to do this when needed and that it's actually to help your relationship, not to hurt it. Exactly. Yeah. I often talk about the importance that I see in having what I call, quote unquote, prenups in every relationship, not just in marriage and not around the financial things necessarily, but these kinds of conversations. 
when I'm embarking on a potential romantic relationship, I ask questions like, how are you when you get angry? And how do you feel about the idea of taking a break if we become escalated? Because that's my habit to recognize that I'm becoming emotionally escalated. And I found that it's much more beneficial if I take a break during that time. Actually negotiating those kinds of things in advance of the event to the best of our ability. I really appreciate you talking about having that as a known agreement even before a moment of upset happens. Right. Prenups are good. You know, it takes away the drama of the conflict when there's conflict. Everybody can get along when you're getting along. It's setting up some rules and regulations on how to navigate more difficult times. Exactly so. And along those lines, great segue to the question I wanted to ask you next. Can you give us an example of how to navigate hard conversations with people in our life? It's starting with the I statements, making it about yourself. What are you feeling? How is it affecting you? And then I use this feedback wheel where you state by saying just the obvious, this is what happened. So this is what I saw. And then what I made it to mean, what I made up about it, or the story I told myself is, and when you talk about the story I told myself, you get to say all the bad things that you wanted to say, but you've actually cloaked it in, this is the story right? This is the story I tell myself that you're lazy and disrespectful and you don't care about my needs and blah, 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 blah. And then that story made me feel, you know, sad, lonely, angry, like I need to leave. And then the fourth part is what I need from you is, and then the last part is what can I do to help you give me that? That's a feedback wheel where you stated just what you saw, This is the story. The story made me feel like this. And this is what I need from you. What can I do so you can give it to me? And it works really well when you keep each of those things very short, no more than two lines. So the whole thing is like eight sentences. And that's a great way to communicate. That is fabulous, Nancy. I love that structure because not only are we making the observation about what we experience, but recognizing that we are telling ourselves a story in our head and owning that and talking about it objectively in a sense, letting the other person know this was a story that started coming up in my head. I think that's really authentic. It helps us be in touch with ourselves and helps the other person have some insight. And it's honoring the fact that we do write stories in our head and they're not all true. And they also feed our emotions positive and negative. Then to make that request so the person knows what it is we need from them and helping bring it into balance by asking what we can do to encourage them or in exchange for what we're asking them to do for us. It's a tidy little, really effective package, Nancy. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's not mine. It's Terry Reels. But yes, it's great. Thank you for sharing it. Nancy, how can our listeners learn more about your work or get in touch with you? Well, everything is on my website, which is nancypicardlifecoach.com. Picard is P-I-C-K-A-R-D. 
I do a free discovery call for anyone who's interested. I have so many different coaching modalities that if you go to my website, you can see them all. My blogs are on there. All of my podcasts are on there. There's a free chapter of my book, Bigger, Better, Braver, Conquer Your Fears, Embrace Your Courage, and Transform Your Life. It's basically a step-by-step how to do it. Not everybody can afford a coach. So if you are looking to make a transition and you don't know how to do it, that's a great first step before you even think about hiring a coach. Do people purchase your book from your website as well, or is it available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, it's on all the online, but most people get it on Amazon. And yes, there is also a link right on my website. Excellent. Thank you so much, Nancy. You have shared a lot of wisdom and some great, easy to implement tools with us today. I'm so very grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're enjoying co-creating peace, there are so many ways to help this podcast stay strong and live long. Choose one, choose several, and know that I am deeply grateful for your support in any form. Subscribe to Co-Creating Peace on your favorite podcast provider. Subscriptions improve podcast rankings. Share Co-Creating Peace with people in your life. Share the show on your platforms. Tell your friends about it. And give Co-Creating Peace a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Become a patron of Co-Creating Peace by going to www.patreon.com backslash co-creating peace. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash co-creating peace with no hyphen in co-creating. Your sponsorship will go toward the production expenses of this podcast. Patrons pledging $10 or more per month will receive thank you gifts ranging from communication worksheets and workbooks to free communication coaching sessions with me and co-creating peace t-shirts, coffee mugs, and tote bags. Contribute to the content of this podcast by sending me your requests for advice about conscious communication or conflict transformation. I will honor whatever level of confidentiality you want in my response. You can get a free 30-minute communication coaching session simply by coming on the show to talk about a communication challenge you're having. We can change the names of all involved, including you, to protect everyone's privacy. Trust me, any challenge you're having, others out there in the audience are also having. So you'll be helping them by working through your communication challenge with me. If you have ideas for episodes of this podcast or specific things you'd like to learn about conscious communication and conflict transformation, please send those to me too. Many episode topics and guests were suggested by listeners like you. The best way to reach me is to email me at awigon at bridgesofpeace.com. That's O-W-E-E-G-O-N at bridgesofpeace.com. I love hearing from my listeners, and I want this show to have a direct and positive impact on your life. You'll be able to hear a new episode of Co-Creating Peace every weekend. This episode of Co-Creating Peace has been brought to you by the patrons who support Co-Creating Peace through Patreon.com and by Bridges of Peace, providing mediation, facilitation, training, and communication coaching services throughout the U.S. and around the world. Learn more about Bridges of Peace by visiting www.bridgesofpeace.com. 
Thank you for listening, and may you always find new ways to co-create peace in your life.